right, welcome into this episode of Farce Cast. Farzi Masugin here with you. It is draft week, yes. And as I kind of said last week, I'm excited because all the speculation, all the mock drafts, all that good stuff can finally come to an end. We've got the first round on Thursday. That'll be a lot of fun. For those of you guys listening, I will be doing a live stream at the beginning of the draft, and then I'll be doing another live stream when the Chiefs get close to picking. If the Chiefs trade up unexpectedly, in my opinion, I will immediately do a live stream. So for those of you on Facebook, facebook.com slash that is the live stream on there. You guys can follow me on there and you'll get a notification as soon as I go live. And uh, we haven't done a live stream in a long time. So uh, let's go ahead and get that going again. I think it'll be a lot of fun and we can do a lot of fun things with that this weekend for the NFL draft. You guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine. 21. All right. Very little time to waste. I'm excited for this podcast. We've got a four person crew for this episode. We've got Zach Stenga, a good friend of mine. He's been on this podcast many times. Melody McAllister, uh, another good friend and author and another good friend uh, and former Kansas City Chief also on the Chiefs Believe Podcast Network is Joe Valerio. Lady, gents, welcome in. Thanks for coming on. Arzine, great to be with you, man. It's, it's been a wild offseason. Who would have thought that the offseason could be just as busy, if not busier, than the regular season when it comes to dishing out news and goings on in the NFL? It's been wild. I mean, it, and it just seems like every offseason it gets wilder and wilder. So there's not definitely will be enough for us to talk about tonight for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Zach and I, we've done podcasts on this offseason. It's been it's been wild. Also unexpected. Unfortunately, the most unexpected event involved us. So, you know, that's how that works sometime, uh, sometimes. But you know, uh, there are so many things to talk to you about. Obviously, we'll talk some Chiefs football. I do want to talk about your um, your journey as an educator because we've never really had that conversation before. And Melody, she's uh, an educator. She's an author. She's actually at a, a, a teaching conference right now. So I think we can, this is a great time to really talk about that kind of thing, but uh, it's been a while since I've had you on the podcast. I know you, you're still doing your podcast with Jeff Fedotin. Um, really great podcast, by the way, I enjoy listening to that, but uh, obviously, you know, we haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, I know the podcast, you guys don't do it as frequently in the off season. Uh, what are you up to these days? Yeah, no, actually, we still go every, every week. We still, oh, okay. we still, we still record every week. And like I said, <laughs> This offseason has given us plenty to talk about. Even though we, you know, we finished the podcast on a Tuesday or Wednesday, we record it, we get it all posted on the Believe Network, and we think, God, what are we going to talk about next week? And something happens. It's great. I mean, it's been crazy. Uh, but no, other than that, um, it's been a really busy, uh, you know, couple of years for me. Um, even though, you know, became an empty nester. Right, my daughters all moved out last year. Um, right, right as kind of COVID. The, the major shutdown was coming to an end. Um, so I've got one of my daughters is in med school. She's just fin- finishing her second year. My other daughter's a, a NICU nurse and she's getting her master's in nurse education. There you go, Melody, another educator in our family. Cool. And um, she wants to obviously teach nurses someday and do patient and clinical education. And my other daughter uh, started law school uh, at Villanova. So, and then I am finishing up my master's. I'm finishing up my MBA and I graduate from Villanova University with my MBA on May 13th. And I just finished my last All class right. on Saturday. So congrats, Joe. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's been, and my wife started, uh, you know, a year and a half ago in the uh, University of Pennsylvania doctoral program. So she's getting her doctor, doctorate in um, teacher education and teacher learning. So, um, or teacher, teacher education, teacher leadership. So it's T-E-T-L, I think is the, uh, is the, 
part of the graduate school of education that she's in. So she works as a, as a, as a researcher and she uh, semi-retired from her full-time elementary school teaching gig to go back full-time and get her doctorate. So education, teaching, learning, big, big time in our family, as far as, you know, keeping, keeping it going and, and, and staying fresh. So, and then I teach a class. I'm, I'm a adjunct professor at a liberal arts university outside of Philadelphia. I teach leadership and their sports management uh, major in their global school business. So uh, yeah, so it's o- always trying to find a way to share knowledge, get knowledge, you know, just be around knowledge. I think it's, you know, it's what keeps me, keeps me young, Farzine. I think the better question would have been, what are you not doing? I mean, look at you keeping yeah, busy and doing all these things. I want to know what your secrets are. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Yeah, some families have trophy cases, but I'm just picturing like just a wall of degrees, basically. Yeah, exactly. So we're all like professional students, but no, it, you know, I, I started I started a YouTube channel, um, and uh, one of my 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 daily my weekly posts were we're calling them a cup of Joe, and they were sort of uh, life lessons and in, in leadership, and those were really fun. I had to take a, a little bit of a break there because I I switch I'm switching roles at work, and okay. um, so. Besides all the other stuff that's going on, that's kind of taking up a little of my time. But I'm next week is get this graduate degree done, and my uh, adjunct professorship comes to an end for the spring semester. I plan to get back to my cup of joes on, on our YouTube channel, Lessons from the Gridiron. So that's awesome. Well, congratulations cool. on that. That's a great. Thank you. Hey, I'm hey, the I'm, old guy. And by I'm the, the way, old guy though. <laughs> Melody Zach, if you guys ever have a question, right? And Joe, you're more than welcome to ask questions. You know, this no, is not. Thank like a, you. I, I hate the word interview. Like, I don't like. Oh that. my gosh! I, I like, yeah, that's a conversation. This, I like this a conversation. Is, thank you. Yes. Um, I, I was I was going to ask: Do any of you guys listen to um, the NFL channel on Sirius XM? We no. actually gave up our we gave up our Sirius XM subscriptions. We have okay. too many of them going. No, I hey, them. listen. No there's like that. 50 million streaming services. Yeah. I understand. Um, I, I, the reason I bring that up is because, you know, you mentioned the off season, how crazy it's been, obviously so many big contracts. And then you just talked about all the things you're doing, you know, this is obviously your post football career. I can't remember who made the comment. I want to say Pat Kerwin, but don't hold me to that. Someone made a comment about how NFL players, so many of them are trying to cash in right now because, and this is their words, not mine, 99% of them don't do anything after football. Um, you're obviously, you know, a, a part of a group that is doing a lot. I mean, you're not just, you know, sitting around and, you know, just trying to do football talk of some sort. You're obviously still doing that with your podcast, yeah. but you're also doing so many other things that you just talked about. I'm just kind of curious, what was that like for you post NFL? Because it's always important, you know, for athletes to get a degree because we've heard so many times, especially on shows like last chance you or any of these other um, sports documentary or reality type of shows that say, Hey, you got to get your education because athletics is not going to last forever. Can you talk about that for a moment? Yeah. I mean, Mike Bell, you know, famous Kansas city chiefs, defensive lineman, uh, Midwestern guy. Uh, he used to always say in the locker room, now he was, he was older than, than me. So he, he played most of his career in the early and, and, and late eighties. And then obviously into my rookie year, we still played together. He was still playing a nice long career. He used to say all the time, Hey guys, it ends for everybody, just some sooner than others. So you have to get yourself ready, right. For what the rest of your life is going to look like. And, you know, Farzine, I was, you know, when I went to college at Penn, you know, I always joke, I was blocking Biff McNutty from Harvard and then I'm going against Howie Long. Like I never really, I'm not saying I didn't expect to be in the NFL, but you know, 
let's be honest, you know, Penn at the time in the, in the late eighties and early nineties was not a football factory as it, as it related to putting players in the NFL. Now we did have one of my role models and mentors and, and great friends was a guy named Brett Novoselsky who played tight end for the bears, the Packers and the Vikings. And, you know, we got a chance to extend our friendship past college um, into the NFL when we would go to training camp against the, uh, against the Vikings every year up in river falls, Wisconsin. And, um, you know, he was the only, he was the only other guy from Penn and the, at the time that was even really, you know, doing anything in the NFL. And so it wasn't like I expected coming out of there to be, you know, have a future in football. So I prepared myself for it. Right. I, you know, I kind of got myself ready for what it was going to be like. It's funny because my wife and I dated all through high school and all through college, we got engaged. And, uh, and while I was a senior in college and then actually got married while she was still in college and while, during my first year with, after my first year with the chiefs. So, um, you know, she, she, my wife, Jennifer always has a plan and, and she's, you know, the consummate educator. And, you know, I remember going into my senior year <laughs> in college right before, you know, that summer. And, you know, I was really zeroed in on football. I love, you know, I love being a part of the Penn football program. And I was working at day camps in the summer, right. Cause this way I could get my workouts in. And literally I think I was making $3 and 15 cents an hour. So, you know, couldn't even take her out to a decent, you know, decent meal at that point on the wages I was, I was making. And she's like, Hey, when, when are you going to get your, your, your senior year internship? And I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, like Jeff, you know, your roommates working at the wall at, at the stock exchange on wall street, you know, Pat just got an internship with an investment banking firm. Like when, when are you going to get that internship? I was like, well, I got to get ready for the season. Like I, I gotta, and she's like, well, well you know, you can have a life. So, you know, Farzina is funny because my, um, so I go, I get, I walk into the coach's office and I said, Hey guys, I got to get an internship. And, uh, they were like, Oh, your girlfriend. I was like, yeah, you know, that my now wife's like, hey, yeah, They're like, oh, I know we understand. She wants to get in. It's like, okay. Cause they, they all knew her. And so I get this internship at an investment firm in Philadelphia. And so I'm, I'm there and my dad, right before I get on the train on my first day. Now, I was where I had a short, I had short sleeve shirt on, right. With a tie that was like, like three, four inches too short, like crazy. Ooh. Right. So I had, had one pair of like tight polyester slacks. I had um, like, no, like I had no dress clothes. I had no sport. I did not own a sport coat. So we, I grew up very, very, very modest means. So my dad in the one car that we own drives me to the train station. And, and I looked like, if, if you've ever seen the cartoon, Mr. Incredible, like, uh, yeah. I looked like, like mm-hmm. not to brag like about my size, but I was like, I was squeezed into this, this business outfit, you know? <laughs> and I was, I was like, a, like a sausage in this thing. And, and I was six, five, you know, 315 pounds and I'm carrying a cooler with my lunch. And my dad says, son, you're going to go to that office. And my dad had never been in an office, by the way. He was a warehouseman and drove a truck. He goes, you're going to go to that office. You're going to do the work. You're going to do it humbly. You're going to do whatever they ask you to do. You're going to get, you're going to meet everybody. You're going to treat everybody the same from the people who clean up at night to the people who run, the, run the place. And I was like, all right, dad, I got it. And he's like, no, son, you, you hear me now as my dad was a professional boxer, Farzine. Yeah. And he was, you know, he was, he was, he wasn't short, but he was, wasn't as tall as I was either. He was six, six feet, five eleven, probably at that time. He, well, he fought middleweight. So he, he, you know, he was like 165 pounds, right? He was probably 175 when he was in his seventies. And he's like, you know, and, and I'm telling you to this day, when he told me what to do, I did what he told me to do because, you know, even at that age, 
you know, as big as I was, my dad would kick my butt. Like there was no, there was nothing, there was no. Old man strength a thing, man. It, These are just it facts. Did, yeah, it did not how, matter how big I was. My dad was as tough as they get. So he goes, you're going to do the work and do it humbly. So I go to that office. I do everything they asked me to do. I'm moving. I'm like that guy in the commercial. I pick things up and put them down. Right. Like I, I like, I'm like moving filing cabinets. I'm cleaning files. I'm running checks out to, you know, clients taking the train, uh, to, to their, to their hat, walking to their houses and like hand delivering checks and, you know, cleaning the coffee pots, like whatever they asked me to do, I did it. So fast forward six months later, I'm at the combine and I'm meeting with the chiefs, right. In Indianapolis and Carl Peterson and Marty Schottenheimer and Howard Mudd, offensive line coach. And they're like, ask me all these questions and, you know, Hey Joe, how's your ankle that you sprained in eighth grade basketball? I'm like, geez, you guys do your homework. Like, Holy yeah, cow. they do. So finally Carl, Mr. Peterson asked me one final question in the interview. And he goes, Joe, I got to ask you probably the most important question of the night. I'm thinking it's going to be like, how do you block 35 trap? Right? Like I'm thinking, what's he, what's he going to ask me? He goes, tell me about your internship at Kidder Peabody last summer. And I said, well, Mr. Peterson, I said, with all due respect, I have to, you have to tell me what, what a, a, a you know an in, a summer internship at a financial firm has to do with running into three hundred pound guys really fast like I couldn't I couldn't connect the dots and he's like Joe he goes he has everything to do with it he says do you remember a guy by the name of Tim Sennett and I said oh Mr Sennett was the big mahoff as my dad would have called him Mr Peterson he was the managing director and he goes well you know he's one of my best friends and godparents each other's kids we were college roommates and I was like wow I had no idea that you, we never talked about that at all. When I was at the office, he goes, well, he goes, what, the way, what he told me about you and the way you conducted yourself at that internship is the reason why we're going to draft you next month in the draft. And I was like, I, w- I literally was speechless. My jaw hit the ground. And he's like, so tell me the lesson, Joe, what do you learn? What do you learn? What are you learning right now? And I said, well, Mr. Peterson, I guess you never know who's watching. And he said, yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. He's like Lamar Hunt, wants people in that locker room who are going to do the right thing when no one's watching. He goes, Joe, everybody who comes to the combine can bench press and run and jump and block and tackle and do all those things. We've seen your film. We've seen you do this. We've seen you do that. He said, that is the reason why we're going to pick you up in the draft. Now I did no idea they were going to, speaking of draft, I know you want to talk about draft. I had no idea it was going to be the second round. I got a funny story about draft day on that, on that front, Farzine. Yeah, we'll get um, into that. But like, you know, I, I, I was just, you know, it was just a lifelong lesson I've taken with me my whole life, you know, that you never know, right? Thanks to my wife getting on me about getting an internship and then my dad just telling me to do the work and do it humbly. And my daughter keeps that up in her in her room uh, to this day. She keeps one of those little whiteboards that, you know, you can put letters on and she says, do the work, do the, do it humbly, pop up. And she keeps it there because she, you know, she's she's in the midst of, of studying med school. So, yeah, it's just one of those one of those life lessons I'll never forget. You know what's really that's interesting? Story. Wait, can we stop for just a second? Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Melody. That that's just incredible, and I mean, like, what a legacy! And it it's just it reminds me of my own dad, who I got to work with at a car dealership in St. Joe, Missouri, for a few years um, until I headed out to Texas. But I also learned my work ethic from him. And I just I feel like we don't see a lot of those men anymore, and and a lot of those lessons, and they just stay with you forever. So that's a great story. I'm glad well, thank you shared you, it. Thank you, Melanie. I'm glad to share it. And it, 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 you know, it was the longest answer to a really short question that Farzine asked about like working after football. Like, you know, look, Farzine, I'm going to be honest. Look, I would making money is all relative, right? Because it's all relative yeah. to the times. It's all relative to 
other people that you know you're with and 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 and, and I never never ever tried to compare myself to, to anybody else but being quite frank and honest I played in an era when you know you know I played for six years right so I you know didn't play forever and you know played in an era when you know top dollar was you know you know I don't even want to name names because I don't want to give out anybody's you know looking at or whatever but you know, like $900,000 a year back then was like, you're talking about your top left tackle in the NFL Yeah. right now. Granted, relatively, that is a, that's a boatload of money. Don't get me wrong. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not, but you know, when you think about things like taxes and you think about paying your agent, you think about some extra expenses that you have as an NFL player, you know, you want to go home in the off season, you want to rent a place where you're playing, you want to have a place in your home residence, like expenses add up pretty quickly and not even for the not even for the players that go off the wall like i'm just talking about normal conservative players half your money is going in agent fees and taxes right off the bat right so that 900 turns into 450 for your top left tackle okay and a lot of your chiefs fans can remember who that player was who i played with right and and so now you're talking about four hundred fifty thousand dollars. you're talking about some expenses of renting a place you know in kansas city maybe Maybe you have a home somewhere else that you're trying to buy and you, you, you play for five, six, eight years. And that nest egg is like, okay, it's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Believe me, that that's more money than a lot of people make in, in their lifetime. But relatively speaking, it, it's, it, it, and when it ends, it's, it's over. And it's now it's a, now it's a, um, you know, it's just a given pot of money. Right. So, you know, if, if a player back then, in the nineties or late eighties and early nineties was able to get out of the NFL with, you know, let's say you were a guy like me who was a work a day player, never signed the huge contract, you know, did great. I did great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, not complaining, but you know, guys like that, they'd end up with, you know, eight, 900,000 or maybe a million dollars in the bank. That's that's, and I don't want to just say that's it. Cause that's still a lot of freaking money. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it's not time, like that you know, pile of wealth that you're just like, cool, I'm done now. Yeah, like, no, I can just no, live right? off this. Because even, you know, a million dollars at 10%, you know, returns a year, you're talking about $100,000 a year, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not even going after you, after the capital that you have, right? right. So you can't, it's just, you just can't sustain that if you want to con- continue a certain lifestyle or whatever. And then if you, so if you don't get to work and do some things now, now I'm talking about that era. Right. So, yeah. you know, plus I came home with, you know, when, when Jen and I moved back to Philadelphia, we came home with triplets in tow. So I'm thinking about staring down the barrel of, you know, three college educations in 18 years. I'm like, man, we got to get, I got to get working. Right. Like I got to get going. And so, you know, it was a pretty quick decision for me that was like, all right, it's time to get to work because now I've got, you know, I was 29 years old when I retired. I've got, you know, God willing, you know, I've got 50 years of my life left to go. And, you know, you can't just live off. Now today, hmm, you know, these guys that even, a cause it's gotten exponentially, like it, it's, it's the, 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 the steepness of that curve is, has, it's, it's exponential, right. Yeah. Um, about even what a backup lineman makes today, you know, a million, maybe a million and a half a year as a backup right? You do that for five or six years. Now you're talking about a different pot of money and maybe you can do something that's a little more of the things that you want to do as opposed to the things that you 
have to do or you need to yeah. do, right? So anyway, I don't know if that answers your question, Farzine, or oh, no, gives you any perspective sure. into me. And for me, it was a it was about getting work and and having a purpose too. I don't even know maybe got, if I were lucky enough to have been, you know, one of those players that that was able to sock away enough money that I could quote air quote live off the interest. Um, I don't know if I ever could do that. <laughs> like that to me would be, I just wouldn't have purpose. I wouldn't feel like I had a purpose, right? It wasn't giving back, at least in my opinion, unless you found things that allowed you to do that, right? And, you know, start a foundation and get back in with kids and, you know, helping the community and doing those things, which a lot, a lot of players do. Trust me, they're, you know, especially in the Kansas City area. I just, not that I've been to every city or met everybody from every, every NFL city, but I'd have to say if, if Kansas City is not the best, they are one of the best when it comes to giving back and players really integrating themselves into that town. You are lucky. I'm curious though, Joe, how did you decide what you wanted to do post? Yeah. Like how long did it take you? I mean, obviously you mentioned, you know, got to get to work. Sure. But how did you decide what to do? It was a journey, Zach. It was crazy. I mean, you know, players go through, you know, I went through, I went through pretty significant. I would, I wouldn't call it. I'm not trying to make light of it. um, But I went through a, a, a relative depression. Sure. You know, because, you know, my dad, you know, my dad, <laughs> my dad, again, here comes my pop again. Right. He goes to me. So I, so I, um, I filed, this is, this is now after I actually got my first job in insurance, but mm-hmm. I filed, I did, I ended up filing my retirement because there's some benefits to come with filing your retirement. You can actually sure. get a small severance. Um, but, but, but you know how retirement is, well, unlike for Tom Brady, for some reason it's magic, but back then at least it took, it took a, it took a lot to unwind a retirement, right? Yet you would have to give back your severance pay and which I had already collected. And, um, my dad goes to me. So I called my dad, which I called him at every big moment in my life. And, uh, you know, I said, pop, I was like, I just, I just filed my retirement papers. Like I'm done. Like, that's it. I hung the cleats are officially hung up. This was about, Oh, let's see. I got let go by the, by the Rams in 96. And this was in like, this would have been maybe a, a year after that. Right. So it was like 1997 at some point. And, um, I had worked out for a few teams and, uh, you worked out for the Eagles, the Panthers, the lions, and just didn't, couldn't catch on. And, um, my dad goes, Oh man, that's great, son. And I'm, I'm expecting him to like, give me this proud pop moment like you're the best and oh you did so he's like hey joey you got to remember one thing and i'm waiting for it i'm waiting for how good he's going to tell me i am he goes he goes pop you're nobody now and i was like holy crap dad like it was like (laughs) a kick in the gut but i'm telling you i wish every retiring player got that advice from their dad because it was the best advice I've ever gotten in my life. He was like, cause he followed up with some fatherly love. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't just the harshness of it. He said, you know, son, he goes, you're going to have to bring value in whatever you do in the rest of your life, because you can't count on football to take you through. He goes, nobody cares, pop, nobody cares. And, and he said, it's going to be good cocktail party stories. But at the end of the day, if you don't bring value to somebody catching passes from Joe Montana is going to take you about 10 minutes into the conversation. And it was like, that's my dad. My dad, I don't think my dad got through 10th grade. I don't think he made it to 11th grade, but it has nothing to do with book education. It has to do with wisdom, yeah, that's right? Wisdom right oh, yeah. 100%. And, and, and it was like, all right. I was like, again, Zach, get to work. Like, do the work now. Like, I got to go and I got to, 
I got to bring value. And that's why I, you know, I got to be honest, if you, there's a lot of people I work with, I work, you know, on my company I work with now is 45,000 employees. Right. And, uh, but I work probably closely with about 500 of them, like on a daily basis. I guarantee you, I bet you, I bet you there's at least 200 of them that don't even know I played, played football. Um, I believe it. Because they, I just don't talk about it that much because it doesn't, a lot of times it doesn't bring value. Now it brings value in the lessons that I learned, you know, in, in, in all those things, the, the captain obvious things like teamwork and picking yourself up and adversity, all those, those captain obvious things. But I, I also learned a lot of very subtle lessons, you know, playing, playing football and especially playing offensive line. Yeah. And I, um, I use, do the work kind of position. Yeah. yeah. I use them every single day. And um, because, you know, offensive line, a lot of people know this and some don't, it's literally the only position in the, in all of sports where your sole purpose is to protect another player. It's the only, it's the only, if somebody can think of something, you're going to have to tell me what it is. Cause I, I still have yet to find the closest that. is your goon in hockey. That's the best you yeah. got as far yeah. as like, you know, yeah. Yeah. That's but they still, the protector you know, role ish. Yeah. So it's crazy that that's your sole purpose and sole role. And I've taken that lesson with me my whole life. I, I find great joy in helping people score touchdowns and, and hearing their name. Cause when I came home and t- I told my dad, when I was seven years old, I came home and told him I was going to be playing offensive line. He goes, oh, son, that's great. I looked at him like, dad, what are you talking about? It's not great. I'm not I said, when am I going to get my name announced on the loudspeaker? He goes, probably when you get a holding call. I was like, well, that's not good. He said, and I said, when am I going to get my name in the paper? He goes, hmm, probably when you jump off sides on fourth and one and cost the team the game. I was like, well, dad. He's looking at your D Ford. Right. And then, and, 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 and then I asked him, you know, dad, what, what about, what about the cheerleaders? He goes, son, they don't get fine. And they only get quarterback. I was like, oh man. And like my heart was torn out. Right. I'm like, he was, but, but you know what? He said, what you're going to do is you're going to find joy in that. You're going to find joy in it. And I, and I have, I found great joy at the bottom of a pile with fingers in my eye and elbows in my ribs. And I would hear 32 touchdown and I would just smile. Right. Like, and that's the mentality that, you know, that you have to take with you you know, kind of that, that sort of servant leadership that, that offensive linemen have like that innate intrinsic kind of way of celebrating other people's success. And, and that's really helped me, I think, in, in life to, to, you know, to be there for people and help clear the way for them and, and block for them and, and continue to do that today. So, you know, going to work, I had no choice, you know, and my, my, my wife and I had triplets. We, we had a lot of expenses piling up. And it was just time to do it. So, you know, how I got into it was, um, you know, it's crazy because I, I first started, well, I tried to get back in the NFL, right? So I'm working out and doing that thing. And when I knew it was over, you know, I told my wife, I said, Jen, you know, here, here we go. I said, like, I got to do a resume. And I went to our career center at Penn and I got, I got someone to work with me on my resume. And I went, I just went to the Rolodex and I, my, my first call out of football was actually to the director of planned giving at the university of Pennsylvania. Cause I knew he's the one that had the phone numbers of all the wealthy, mm-hmm. you know, and successful business people who graduated from Wharton school of business and from Penn with economics degrees and all those people that were in jobs it's hiring kind of decisions. A who's who out on wall street for sure. And so that's what I did. I went to it, but, but the problem that I ran into is I had a huge a huge um, conflict about what I wanted to do with my, my life and what 
how flexible I wanted my life to be and the balance that I wanted to live versus where I saw other people. And, you know, I was looking at, um, you know, guys, and I don't mean to use the, the guy pronoun, but I, you know, I'm talking about teammates, like guys, you guys that I had played with that all, you know, were working 80 hours a week. And I was like, I got three one-year-olds at home. I want to be a dad. I want to be there. I want to coach softball. I want to coach the cross. Yeah. I want to coach whatever they do. I want to be at the ballet recitals. I want to be at the play. I want to be at the kindergarten graduate. I said, I'm not missing it. So my wife and I made a concerted effort and decisions to always keep that in mind as I was making career decisions about jobs and moving. I said, put my, you know, I moved seven times in seven years in my NFL career uh, between free agency and moving to different places and getting cut, re-signing, doing all that stuff. I was like, put my address in ink, man. I'm not going anywhere. And so I said, so I'm going to give my kids that stable life that they're going to, you know, um, have a place to, to call home. I said, I'll make, the, I'll make all those decisions based on that. And so it, it, it actually, it limited me a little bit in, in some of the things that I, I could do. I didn't, didn't want, had no desire to move to New York, you know, um, you know, where a lot of, uh, a lot of my, my network was and, you know, made, made a career. That tracks. So, so yeah, so my, my, my next door neighbor was, uh, was on, was on the uh, board of directors of, a college in Pennsylvania called the Indiana University of Pennsylvania. And um, he was on that board with a guy that went to the University of Pennsylvania because that guy's son was there playing baseball. And he said to me, um, he, he said, hey, Joe, I was at a board meeting at IUP and I ran into a guy named Tom Curtis. I'm like, oh my God, Tom Curtis, the Penn swimmer. He was, a, he, he was like a three-sport star at Penn. He swam, he played squash, and he ran track. And, um, you could do that back in the, in the fifties. And he, uh, he said, yeah, we were talking about you. And I said, oh my God, what's Tom up to? I haven't seen him. And probably since I played, you know, at Penn seven years ago. And he said, well, he's, he's, he's running an insurance brokerage in Philadelphia. And he said, he, he, he heard you were look. I told him you were looking for a job and uh, looking for a career transition. And he said, uh, we'd like to, he said, he'd like to meet with you. And, and the rest was history. I got into the insurance industry and, and never, never looked back because it gave me that flexibility, Zach. It gave me that, that sort of lifestyle that I wanted to live where, you know, my, my, my trajectory was going to be slow and steady wins the race as far as, you know, career progression and salary and all that stuff. But it also, you know, I never missed a kid. I never, I coached high school football for 11 years. I never missed one of my kids games or plays or graduations. Um, I, you know, in college, my daughter, played field hockey at Dartmouth. She played in 85 field hockey games in her career, including the spring games. And I made 80 of them. So, you know, and I think a couple, two were because I had to go to a wedding. And so I, you know, I just, that's just, that's just who I felt I needed to be. And, and, you know, I was really, I've been really happy about that, you know, and trying to balance that, um, you know, in, 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 in my life, but, you know, listen, and, and I think it, it's helped me with some of my speaking, you know, and speak, I, I speak to businesses. Sometimes I'll get asked to do a keynote or something. And I always tie it back in because I remember, I remember hearing, um, and, not, and this is no, this is not being critical of Jim Abbott. It's really just, a, it's just talking about the situation. Do you, do you remember Jim Abbott p- pitched in the majors? He had one hand 
Um, I think he was, okay. I think he spent a lot of his time either with the Rangers or angels. I can't remember actually who he was with, but he, he only had one hand. I mean, my God, I couldn't pitch in the majors if I were an octopus and had eight arms, right? This guy pitches with one hand, right? He's a, it's an amazing story. It's so inspirational, but I, I was working for Wells Fargo at the time. And, um, we were at a, a leadership conference out in the West coast and, Jim was a freaking no hitter. Holy cow. Yeah. Sorry, I was yeah. just doing a little he would, Googling. He would, switch, he would switch the glove on his hand. It was, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. No hitter period like, is impressive. Oh, no hitter with one hand. Good Lord. I, yeah, I, 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 couldn't, throw, that too. Yeah, I couldn't throw a no, I couldn't throw a no hitter with a bazooka shooting. A Seriously though. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm with so you, he, man. So he, so he gave this keynote and again, this is not being critical of Jim. He was an amazing speaker. He really captivated the audience, but there's like 200 of us out in the, in the audience. And he was like, someone asked, he opened it up for some Q&A after he gave this unbelievable, like inspirational talk. And he's like, he goes, somebody asked him, so what do you do now, Jim? He's like, well, and he was being honest. And I give him a lot of credit for literally being honest because he could have made something up and he didn't. He's like, well, you know, I, I made enough money that I just basically, you know, I take my kids to school and I coach a couple baseball camps. And, and, and I, and I just, I felt a little bit of the air go out of the room and, and here's why, because those 200 people that were in the audience had about 60 emails that had just piled up in, in that hour long keynote speech. They probably had 15, now this is back before, you know, VoIP phone phones and everything and cell phones. He's, so they probably had, you know, you know, uh, 15 voicemails piling up in their, in their, in their desk. And I'm like, man, like, I don't, I don't know if these people are going to be able to take all the stuff that he just talked about and take it back to the workplace with them. Because while it's inspirational that he pitched a no-hitter in the majors with one hand, he didn't give us any strategies to handling those 15 voicemails and 60 emails that were piled up on our computers. And, and, and I was like, I'm not, I just not, not going to be that. Like, I'm going to, the lessons I'm going to share are going to be applicable. You know, they're going to be, they're going to, they're going to mean something to the person who is basically sort of leading from the middle, right? Because we all can't be the CEO. We all, we're, we all have to be linemen at some point in our life. And, and so I like to, those are the kinds of things I like to share that people can actually immediately use in their life. Those are the lessons from football and team sports and growing up the way that I did. Those are the things I like to share so that, so that people give them something, you know, gives them something tactical to, to, to take back to their desk with them and, and say, Hey, I can, I can do that. No, I mean, I definitely hope that, you know, if there are any younger kids listening or if there are any parents that have younger kids, they maybe at least like and the, all the stuff you said is probably going to be more important than all the draft stuff, which, which we'll get into. I'm sorry, later I know, on. Farzine, you know oh, me. I get down. talking, man. I'm so oh, no, sorry. No, 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 my, my That's point why is, you get to come back, Joe. Because they're no, always good stories every no, single this time. Really, no, it's great <laughs> stuff. I love it, Joe, because I think a lot of kids, you know, listen, let's be honest, like 95% of kids want to be pro athletes, right? Uh, big reason why is because of the money. And it's like, well, the reality is not everyone's going to get there. And even if you do get there, uh, you know, not everyone has, what's the average year in the NFL is like three years. Is that the average? So it's like, you know, I think that stuff is very important for, um, for people to hear for sure. So no, I appreciate you sharing all that. I think that's very important for sure. Uh, one thing I did want to touch on and Melody, of course, uh, she taught in the classroom for so many years and of course has her book. Um, in Melody, I believe you're at a uh, conference right now. Uh, uh, remind me the name of the conference you're at again. It's, it's a tiny little conference, the LRP's National in- Institute. But can I say something? I mean, I'm yeah, sure. 
I've been listening. First of all, I just feel like I feel like I'm actually in the Midwest right now. And of course, I'm I'm in Louisville and I live in Anchorage. So or right outside of Anchorage. So this is this has been closer than normal. Yeah, for real, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on the time in the time zone um, with most of my friends now. But I just I love the stories that you're sharing, um, Joe. It makes me I have been missing my dad so much lately. And everything that you're talking about resonates so much. And, you know, um, I had a lot of siblings and they were amazing in sports. They were the ones that made the all star teams. And we traveled in the summer. Those were our vacations, you know, going to their all star games. And and my dad coached all of us at some point. And I was always the really mediocre player of the family. I was okay with that. Like I was the one that showed up consistently. I worked really hard. When my dad did coach me, like if I wanted to start, I was a really consistent pitcher, but I played fast pitch and I wasn't always, you know, the fastest. So um, I would, I would very rarely get to start, but man, he made me work hard for that. And that has, that stuff has always stuck with me, just working hard. Um, And and you talked about, you know, celebrating other success. And I think that is so important for being a team player. And I, I think that's lacking so much in the world today. People, they get jealous instead of being able to celebrate when really, when, yeah. when people around you are doing amazing things, it really lifts everybody up. So I just want to say that all of your stories really touched me. I kind of lost, I got choked up because really, again, I've been missing my own dad so much lately. And the, and I, I'm just so glad that I got to have him in my life. And um, so, yeah, but anyway, uh, as far as you, I don't know what question you were asking, but I am, I'm at a, um, a, a conference that is a little bit different than the ones I use, usually go to. So with my new role um, with an ed tech company, um, I, I speak at, at different sessions and I talk about different ed tech things that we're doing, but this one is all about like special needs laws. And like today I did a session and I was really out of my element. I'm used to to teach or I'm used to um, talking with teachers um, classroom teachers but today I was with social workers I was with a lot of district leaders um, over you know special ed um, the, the department of districts and schools and so yeah I was really out of my element I was working hard to uh, restructure my presentation to kind of fit the needs and yeah it was but it was a great session and um, I walk around the room and I let other people share because I don't always um, you know I will never pretend like I'm the smartest person in the room so I had a lot yeah. to learn I was going to say, Melody is super inspiring. I, I love following you. I love everything you post and the positive messaging that you send out to the world is uh, spot on. So keep, Thanks, keep doing what you're doing. It's the, the purpose and, and inspiration that you bring. Keep bringing it. Don't stop because I it's, appreciate it's, it. It's, Thank it's, you. It's, you have a platform and keep using it because you're, you know, you're the bomb. So keep, keep going. Thank you. I, I feel the same about you. I appreciate that. It means a lot. I, I think it's interesting because, you know, Melody is talking about special needs and I don't know much about special needs law, that kind of thing, but I used to work with a, a there was a mentor of mine, um, really great lady. Uh, I keep in contact with her a couple of times a year. Um, she, uh, she even hooked me up with a, with a scholarship of her own. Uh, so she's always done a lot for me. Uh, she actually hired me to work for her. I was a student at Johnson County Community College and during the afternoons, she would work with high school seniors um, who have special needs. And uh, she wanted me to be an assistant and, and work with these students, um, you know, take notes, be a note taker, that kind of thing. So it was a very eye opening experience. And I, actually, you know, I kind of got to see the behind the scenes of education and more so for um, at the college level or those who work with high school seniors. Joe, I know you're an adjunct professor. Um I'm kind of curious because I don't know a lot about that uh, about you. Uh, What are you uh, a professor for? What is that like? Yeah, no, no. Well, I mean, just to just take one quick step back and, you know, 
you know, formality sake to go, to go through and talk about that platform and, and um, sorry to, I'll, I'll divert back. No, sure. Um, I'll circle back, but um, where that really started for me and that appreciation for it. Right. So, you know, of course I dated my wife all through high school, my father-in-law is lifelong educator. He was teacher, disciplinarian, principal, like just, you know, got his, went back and got his doctorate, like did all the right things. And so I saw the impact that you have. And obviously thinking about the teachers and people in my life that helped me get to where I was. I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, but I'll never forget this one particular incident. Um, Jen was teaching in blue Valley schools, right? So she was at, uh, she was teaching elementary school and what, what school, if you don't mind me asking, yeah, I'm she was, to. she was at the Overland trail elementary school okay, in yeah. blue Valley school district. Okay. Zach and she I went to North. blue Valley. So, okay. Yeah. She was over Overland trail. She, she did her student teaching. She, she, she went back and, and she got her elementary certification. So she had to reach, she went back and got, took a lot of classes at KU and uh, went back and cause she was certified um, high school. And then she went back and got her elementary certification. And so she had to redo her student teaching. And she was at Cherokee elementary over in independence, Missouri. And um, so, so she um, one day she had like an in-service day or something. She, she wasn't, she was home on the same day I was on a Tuesday. It might've been, maybe it was like an election. I don't know, whatever, whatever the reason was she was home and I was, it was my day off. Right. So the chiefs, man, they used to keep you chock full. You're scheduled. They did not like stop. Right. So So I keep people out of trouble. That's how they get a good point, Zach. That's what they did. They were smart. You know, Carl, uh, Carl and Marty were smart. So I get, you know, thing, Hey Joe, you're going to be joining the, the dare program. Um, and you're going to, you know, be heading out to a school with the Kansas City Police Department as part of the D.A.R.E. program. Right. So so we go out and we had our, we had our shtick down. Like, you know, I, I had been doing that, the D.A.R.E. programs a ton. And, you know, I wear my jersey and I bring my helmet and we talk about staying drug free and the power of education and everything. And and um, so so Jen joins me on this one day where I go do the thing. I said, you want to come? And she goes, yeah, I said, I'll go do do the assembly. We'll go get lunch somewhere or whatever. I promise I'll take my jersey off. I won't wear that to the in the restaurant. And so we go to uh, to the school and then the kids are listening and they're talking and, and we're doing this program and we get in the car. And of course, I'm a feedback junkie, right? Like, because that's when you're a player, like that's you watch the film of everything you do, right? You know, don't hey Joe, take a six inch step, not a nine inch step. Okay, coach. You know, like I'm really into feedback, right? So I said to Jen, I said, having been an educator, right, and spend, spending her her passions in, in the classroom, and I said, how did I do? And she just looks at me, and and you know, my wife's a little Spitfire, right? She's you know, I'm six five, not that five five is short, but I'm six five. So I got a comparison to you. Right? That's a bit of a gap. So I get the hand to the back of the head. Now I'm not I'm not uh, you know condoning domestic violence here or anything, <laughs> but I get the hand I get the hand to the back of the head, right? And I was like, what the heck was that for? Right. And so she goes, you, I, you got it. I want you to remember. She's like, she can't get the words out. She's like, you have to remember the platform that you have. And don't you ever forget the platform that you have as a player. And I was like, well, why are you mad at me? And she said, because I would kill to get that kind of attention in the classroom for wearing a red Jersey. And she was, she was like, because I, you know, and of course we had a, you know, after I got the slap, 
we, you know, we got, you know, got into the conversation about like how, you know, as a professional educator, not that my wife, she's fantastic classroom manager. She's great at classroom management, even at the elementary school level. But like, she was like, Joe, you got up there, you put that red Jersey on and those kids were looking at you and waiting for every word that came out of your mouth because you wear that red Jersey. And she's like, I, I, you know, she's like, at that point, my wife, honest to goodness, I am not kidding. She, at that point, she had three bachelor's degrees and a master's, right? And because every time she would get close to like another certification, they would say, oh, well, if you take two more classes, you can get another bachelor's. And she's like, all right, well, I'll just take two classes, right? So, so she was like, I spent my whole life up to this point, you know, be, be educating myself on education. And she says, you got that, you got that in that, in that classroom today for wearing a red Jersey. She's like, you can never forget that. And that was a message I tried to spread to guys, you know, as, as I was going through the, the NFL journeys, like, you know, we have a platform here, get out in the community, talk to the kids. They're listening, be the role model that you should be, you know, and I, I have my, some, I love Charles Barkley. I have a little bit of my disagreements with Charles Barkley on that whole role model thing, you know, where he kind of said, well, I don't, why should we be role models? I remember that, uh, you know, like I look, I, I get it. I get part like, I'm a very, I'm very good listener and I always see every side of every story. And I, I get it. I get why he rare in today's like world. That. What's that, Zach? I said, that's a yeah, rare know, trick right? in today's world. I, 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 I totally get why he would say it because you know, what do you really have, to, you know, like, is, is that really have to be your job just because you play sports? But you know what? I, I kind of, I, w- I would respectfully disagree with him on that because I think if you have that kind of platform, you got, you know, you should use it and you should take it. You should hold it very close to your heart and you should, you should hold it with great care that you have that kind of voice with young people that will listen um, when you talk. And so, you know, that to me, Farzine, just to kind of give you a little background on how I feel about it, about spreading the message. And again, that just, you know, I, a couple of years ago, um, I, a good friend of mine who was the Dean of the business school at Arcadia university, which is a small liberal arts university outside of Philadelphia. um, He, he would always ask me to come speak to the sports management majors at least twice a year, um, yeah. talk to them about what it was like to play, what it meant to choose an agent. Like, and I would give these like our keynotes and networking sessions and, you know, talk to them about, you know, sports and just kind of just general life. And um, one day he called me out of the blue and he said, listen, we have an opening in, in a class called, you know, um, leadership and sports management. And he said, would you be willing to write me up a, a syllabus and pull a little curriculum together for it? And um, I said, absolutely count me in. And um, I was working on my MBA at the time when I first started, um, this was six years ago. It took me six years, by the way, to get that MBA. I could be a doctor by now or close to it. Um, I just, I did it. I did it part-time um, at night. And um, he, he, um, you know, he said, look, as long as you're working on your master's, we can make an exception that, you know, most of their adjunct professors have, have master's degrees. So we can, we can massage our way around that given, given your life experience. And, you know, I could become like a professor in practice, you know, and then, and then, and so, yeah, I've been, so I've been teaching, I teach, I teach leadership, you know, for anybody who's listening from Arcadia university, I, I love focus on the sports side of it. And, um, but I gotta be honest, I've really turned it into more of a, how do I become a better leader class and what, what strategies can I give to anywhere from, you know, I don't have any freshmen in the class, but I have mostly, mostly sophomores, juniors, and, and some seniors. I, um, 
I, I basically just tell them how to be better people and, and what lessons I can give them having, you know, just gotten completely beaten up in, in corporate world for the last 25 years. Uh, try to give them some lessons when they go out for that first job or, you know, that first big internship, things that they can take with them, um, how, to, how to become better leaders. I, I talk about emotional intelligence. I talk about inclusion and diversity. I talk about crisis management, communication, um, all those things that are, they don't, I don't know if they really get in other classes, right? Like it's, I try to make it, uh, you know, I try to make it my, my favorite, my two favorite topics are, are when we talk about diversity, inclusion, and, um, and, uh, and emotional intelligence. I, I think those are two things that young people today really need to have a good grasp of when they, when they get out in the real world. And if, if I can give them a little bit of a head start on it, you know, hopefully it makes them a little bit better candidate when they're looking for their first job. So that's, that's awesome. kind of what I'm doing with that. Melody, Zach, did you guys have okay. any other questions? I got to say, I love education? every single thing that you just said. I mean, and I, in, the, in my book, the I'm sorry story that I, I put all of that. It, yeah. Joe, I think you're fabulous. You're amazing. Oh my God, Melody, <laughs> stop, stop, stop. No, stop. Really. You know what? No. <laughs> you know, I, something, uh, a point I forgot to uh, mention, because uh, you talked about Carl Peterson and how he knew about, you know, all these things you, you did. Um, you know, when I, uh, actually 10 years ago to this month, I still remember it was the, um, national championship KU in Kentucky, KU lost. And that next day I, uh, went to KU, uh, because once you get accepted to the journalism school, they want you to plan a visit. And I was like, you know what, while I'm here, I'm going to avo avoid Kentucky street because we just lost Kentucky. Unfortunately, <laughs> in, in order to get to a certain point on campus, you have to go to Kentucky Street. So yeah. funny, funny how that part works. Out. Zach the knows easiest street to avoid in that town. Yeah, not, not a very easy street to avoid. He's right. But, um, you know, I, I had a meeting with um, the recruiter for the journalism school. And I'll, uh, I still remember his name. Uh, his name, well, I'll just say his first name, Wayne. Really, really nice guy. And um, I'm just having a sit down with him in his office. And he goes... Man, what's it like doing your uh, your Chiefs podcast? What's it? What was it like writing for Four Thirty Five South Magazine? Now it's called Kansas City Magazine. And what's it like writing for Bleacher Report? I'm like, in my head, I, I'm answering his questions, but, but in my head, I'm like, how the hell does he know all this? And I talked to the mentor who I told you earlier. She goes, uh, she pulls up a seat and says, "Come sit next to me. Let's look up your name online." And listen, I mean, no one else has my name, so it's not that hard to find the things. And at the time. My Facebook comes up, my Bleacher Report, my podcast. I mean, I don't know what comes up now. Uh, and not that, you know, it's too important to me now. I'm sure it's my Twitter. Are and they still the same things, stuff. let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure my Arrowhead Attic profile is, is up there high. But, you know, the point is, like, yeah, these people do really, I mean, they do a lot of, even the whole, like the Michael Sam story before he came out, that was not news to the scouts they knew that stuff like even even the tiniest things about your personal life like they know it's pretty crazy uh just how they uh come about with obviously you know with the drafting this week i mean yeah. they really do their due diligence they do they talk to everybody they can that knows you yeah it's crazy yeah it's it's i i don't know how players deal with it today i really don't i i just the distractions of social media um, I, I don't, I don't know how they do it. I, all the way from high school up to, you know, you know, into the NFL and all professional sports, I, I don't know how they balance it because, you know, I had enough distractions, you know, without any of that, right. Like yeah. Marcus Allen, like introduced me to computers. Um, so, you know, I was barely on the internet in 1993, 
because my college roommate's dad gave me a, a computer for our wedding gift in 1992 that sat for almost a year. And somehow it came up in the locker room that I had a PS2 from IBM. I remember you brought this up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, you know, I, 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 that, 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 that was enough for me. That was enough of it. playing, you know, Sega was enough of a distraction. Like I can't imagine what it's like because I, you know, having coached high school football for 11 years, I saw what a distraction that was for the kids, the huddle videos, the five-star recruiting websites, this thing, that coach is texting me, calling me, tweeting about me. I'm tweeting about them. You know, I, I don't posting my highlight videos. Like I was just like, this is, I'm really tired right now. There it is. There it is. Yeah, that's a PS. It's, it's funny when you Google PS2 computer, it, it comes up, but like half of it is the PlayStation 2. Like, you, you right, 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 right. Yeah, there's a PlayStation yeah. 2 right there. So, yeah, the PS2 had a, a 250 megabyte hard drive. So, so <laughs> this iPhone yeah. in my hand is a terabyte. <laughs> I know, right? It's crazy. But, you know, I, I just, and the whole drafting leading up to it, I, I know you wanted to talk about that. And, yeah, you know, it was, uh, you know, look, it was a couple of newspapers calling, a couple of radio stations, our school newspaper. Like, that was it. I did not have a whole lot of distractions back then, Farzine, going into, into the draft. Um, you know, it was a lot of wait and see. Now, you would, of course, when the Street and Smith's draft guide came out, you'd run to the bookstore to get it to see where they thought or the R lads, you know, guide to the draft. I mean, but there was huh. so, so few, um, you know, so few stuff out there. So little stuff, I should say, uh, to find out where you where you were. Um, you had to rely on your agent. You had to rely on any scout that made their way through to see you. And, you know, everything was kind of like you were in the dark. I mean, I was so in the dark about where I thought I was going to go in the draft that when, when, when my brother, so we had a, we had a draft party at my house that I grew up in and my brother, my brother lived there and he still lives there today. And my brother, Tony was like, all right, let's have everybody over. And Oh my God, people were just piling, piling in. Everybody kept coming. A couple of newspapers came, a couple of TV stations uh, was nice. They were there. Um, but like, I just kept imagining being really disappointed. Right. Cause the first round was the only round back then it was televised so once it went off espn or whoever was covering it at the time it was it like that was it the next thing you know you're going to the radio for updates and that's it like so we're listening to like the local philadelphia uh, sports radio we're listening to kyw which is the sports or the uh, news radio station in philly back then um it was on am and that was it Right. And um, my brother, every time somebody would call on our house phone, he would yell at them for no call. Don't call again because we're waiting for a call. Right. So then so then my brother. So my brother had this he got this cool Giants phone. Right. It was it was the New York Giants helmet phone. If you maybe remember this, they were life life size helmets. They had the phone, the phone on the top and a nice, you know, nice white face mask and, and the phone. Now. My brother took the stickers off and he went down to our school and got a pen and got, he knew the equipment manager and he got um, some pen stickers. And so he made it into a pen football helmet. Right. So, so that was, that was the bat phone for, for the draft. Right. So my, and my brother, I mean, he promised me he would be the one that would answer the calls. So, so the phone rings, it's like, you know, my aunt Rita, he's like, aunt, you can't call. We're waiting for the, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, my aunt like speaks broken English. She's like, wow, who, who's draft? What's draft? I need to talk to Beth, you know, like whatever. So he hangs up, aunt, you can't call, hangs up. 
So then the phone rings and it's Carl Peterson. And my brother's like, oh yeah, Mr. Peterson. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's talking to him. I'm like, Tone, uh, does he want to talk to me? Like, you know, like <laughs> what's going on? So he hands me the phone. I'm like, Hey, Mr. Peterson, how are you? He goes, Hey Joe, how you feeling? It's Carl Peterson. I said, Hey, Mr. Peterson. He goes, are you healthy? You feeling good? I said, doing great. Mr. Peterson, working out, working hard, staying healthy, you know, uh, being careful, doing all those things, get ready for the draft. He said, great. He goes, well, I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with, um, going to leave you with Howard Mudd, offensive line coach that you met at the combine. And he said, I'm going to go up and we're going to send in your name for the draft. So I said, and so awesome. as, he's, as he's like getting ready to like hand the phone to Howard Mudd, coach Mudd, I said, Mr. Peterson, what, what, what round is it? Like the fourth or fifth? <laughs> so he goes, so he goes, he goes, Joe, he goes, come on, buddy. He's like, have a little more confidence in yourself. He goes, oh, that's hilarious. He goes, it's the second round. And I was like, and I didn't want, now at that point I'm embarrassed. So I'm like, oh man, like Mr. Peterson's going to think I don't have any confidence in myself. Right. So Howard gets on and he's like, he's like, Joe, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. He goes, and he's like, basically made me feel really good about it. He goes, I love it. He goes, I, he goes, I love a player who, who doesn't, you know, doesn't think, doesn't think that highly of themselves. And I was like, well, coach Mud, I said, I just didn't know. I said, we're here. We're in the dark over here. We got the radio AM radio on, you know, my, my aunt's calling on the phone, you know, my, everybody's eating meatballs and pasta, you know, macaroni. And so, you know, it was like, I didn't really know what the heck was going on, but needless to say it, you know, it happened. And I looked at my fiance, now wife, Jen, I was like, where's Kansas city. <laughs> <laughs> Is it in Kansas or Missouri? I was just like, I'm such a jabroni, you know, just this guy. Cause I had never, until I went to the East West. Well, no, number one, I'd never been on a plane until I flew to the East West shrine game. My senior year in college, uh, flew out to California, um, in January. And, um, you know, I had never been further West than Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and I, you know, went north to play in the Ivy League because, you know, we play like, uh, you know, Dartmouth up in New Hampshire. But I'd never really been south of D.C. Uh, we used to drive down. My dad liked the horse races. So we would go down to some of the tracks in Maryland. But other than that, I didn't know. I didn't know where I was going. Like, you know, you, you could have said Kansas City, Seattle, Ottawa, Canada. Like, I didn't know. Like, I was aware. OK, Kansas City. Like, I, I thought I knew where it was on a map. And, uh, you know, here we go. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, Carl gets back on. He's like, Hey, listen, you know, Bob Moore got on, who was the PR director. And yeah, I remember, like, oh, you know, and then somebody came on from travel and they're like, okay, you're going to have, you know, there's gonna be an overnight package. Make sure somebody signs for it. We're flying you out, you know, this week to mini camp. And, and, uh, you know, the rest was, uh, was, was chief's history. Wow. That's awesome. That's a really cool story. And I read somewhere that you like had chili dogs. Like oh my God. Yeah. My, so when, when, so Melody, when, when this is just the kind of guy I am, right. So my agent was, was Brad blank and he was out of Boston and um, he's had, he has great, great stable players. I really respected him. Um, why he wanted to be an agent, why he was an agent. I just, I just really, really was, uh, was impressed by him. And um, so, you know, but one of the pieces of advice he gave me was Joe, don't pick your agent until the combine's over. He goes, you don't need that distraction. He goes, just tell people as they're making their pitches, just say, look, I'm going to wait till after the combine to make my decision. And I'm telling you, he never really called me 
I met him, I met up with him at the East West shrine game. He came down and had dinner with my family. And that was the last that we had really talked. He let, he let himself do the talking and just his, mm-hmm. and I just, I had all that. He wasn't promising me anything and loans and, you know, he wasn't telling me how great I was and he just really kept me grounded. And, um, he, uh, so we're at the combine and in, you know, in February. And, uh, so we're there and he's there and I see him. And so I, you know, went up to him and said, Hey, Brad, I said, uh, do you have a minute? And he said, yeah, he said, of course. So we start walking through the lobby. So what, what, you know, what's going on? I said, well, listen, I want to, I want to work with you. I want to, I want you to be my agent. And he's like, Oh my God, that's awesome. He goes, what time's your flight tonight? I was like, I was late. Then back then, like, you know, now they don't really fly like red eyes anymore. Right. So I was on a, a relatively late flight. It's probably like 10 o'clock, 1030 at night on Indianapolis connecting maybe to like Newark back to Philly or something. And he goes, uh, well, let's go get some dinner. Where do you want to go? And he was expecting me to be like Ruse Chris Steakhouse or, you know, some fancy place. I'm going to order surf and turf and, you know, we're going to, we're going to paint the town. I guess if you can paint Indy, I'm sure you can paint it if you really find the right place. Probably like, during combine weekend, not the rest of the time. I'm guessing probably Zach. And he goes, I said, Brad, I gotta be honest. I said, every time I was walking from the hotel, I guess it was called the Hoosier dome back then. Right. I guess the big, where the, where the Colts played, I said, I said, every time I've been walking between the stadium and, and, and the hotel, I said, I kept passing this hot dog stand. And I said, it smells fantastic. I said, would you mind if we just went and grabbed a couple of chili dogs at that house? He was like, he was like, I think he grabbed my cheeks at that point and was like, I love you. He goes, this is why I'm going to love you. And we had a, we have a crisis today to to this day. I, I send him all my sports management majors who want to learn about being an agent. And um, he takes all their calls. Like if I have a student in my sport, in my sports management major class and they're like, Hey, I want to be an agent. When when I get to know them, I'm like, okay, well, here's the deal. I'm going to make a commitment to you. If you make a commitment to me, I'm going to introduce you to my agent. He's going to tell you all about what it's like to be an agent. If you promise me that you'll keep up your end and actually talk to him and not blow him off. And they all do. They all, and they all love talking to him. So yeah, he's a fantastic guy. He's great. He's been a, a lifelong friend. And, um, you know, he wasn't one of those people that when I was done, he shut the door. What's his last name? Brad Blank. Oh, Brad Blank. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He lives in Florida now. He's a longtime Boston native. Grew up with the Kennedys. Uh, you know, he was he became an agent for all the right reasons. He went to Brown undergrad, Columbia Law, you know, um, had a fantastic stable of players, uh, Herman Moore, um, Harris Barton, the Wolf, uh, Joe Wolf. Uh, the 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 Wydell brothers uh, from Denver, like just just a class. He loves linemen. Joe Conwell, Philadelphia Eagle out of the University of North Carolina, just you know, just an amazing crop of players um, that just loved him. And and every time I would talk to one of his his players, you know, they'd be like, "Dude, he's the best." You know, you just got it because he he doesn't he doesn't BS you at all. Going into the draft, I, I got to ask you the Chiefs, obviously. Uh, because of the Tyreek Hill trade, I, there's a really good possibility they can kind of make Tyreek Hill a long distant memory. Not saying, you know, he, he, it's going to be easy to move on from him, but they've got so many draft picks, Joe. And, and I think I maybe have more confidence in this scouting department than most Chiefs fans because you look at specifically under Andy Reid, you know, th- th- this franchise has found a lot of great players outside of the first round. Guys like Chris Jones, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt, Trey Smith. 
uh, Nick Bolton, Creed Humphrey. And I know the Kareem Hunt thing didn't end well, uh, but still they were able to find, you know, one of the best running backs in the NFL outside of the first round, the third round to be specific. Uh, you've got two late first round picks and you've got two second round picks, two third round picks. You know, if you play your cards right, and I think this chief scouting department, they know what they're doing. Um, they're capable of finding some really good underrated players in this draft. I think uh, I, I'm just curious um, if I had to ask you of those six picks, how many do you think will go to defense? How many, assuming they don't trade, obviously that's a big assumption, but yeah, out yeah. of those six, you know, how do you, how many do you, do you think goes to defense? How many do you think goes to offense? I, you know, that's a, that's a great question for you. Know, I, I, I think that's a really insightful question, right? Where are they going to put these resources, right? Where, where do they need to put these resources? And look, there's a couple of positions that, you know, can make an immediate impact, right? I, I think, look, I think Trey Smith, Creed Humphrey, Will Shields, um, you know, going back to, to, to more of my era, I, I think they're more anomalies as it relates to, to um, making an impact early on. I, I, I really do. I think if, you are, if you're counting on an offensive lineman to, to make an impact early, you're probably, I, think it's, I think it's the lowest on my list as far as being able to make an impact, especially the low, you know, the lower the round you get, look, you can always get that top 10 lineman that, you know, is just, you know, to pardon the, the, the genderist phrase, but they're, you know, they're a man among boys, right? Like you just know it, you see it. Um, and, you know, we obviously know that's not really where the chiefs are going to, are going to go for it this year, right? They're not going to, they're not really going to look at the offensive line. I think they've done enough to shore that up that if they want to get a late round, later, later round, I should say, kind of solidifier, then if the right person's there, they could definitely add some depth, but I think they're pretty good there early on, but there's positions. I think, I think wide receiver is probably the position wide receiver and corner these days to me seem to be the positions that you can make an impact early. It's, it's, I don't want to say that, you know, playing wide receiver in the sec is the same as playing in the NFL, but I'm, I'm telling you, if they can get a big time wide receiver early, those players can make an impact early because it's a different kind of skill. You know, there's positions like middle linebacker, line, any of the line positions, defensive or offensive, even safety to a certain degree, I call them like mature positions, right? You have to have a level of NFL maturity before you can really make that impact. That's going to say, Oh, they're winning the Super Bowl this year. Right? Like I think if I, so if I had to rank them, I would say it goes wide receiver corner, and then it goes running back after that. Number one, because darn careers are so short, you know, because of the pounding that they take. Um, so you've got to make an impact early. Plus I think there's just skills that those positions have that are very transferable to the next level more than somebody who plays in one of those more, I use that term again, mature type positions. So anyway, this is a long winded answer to a short question. I, I think, I think they're going to focus on sort of the skill positions on offense. They have to, right. I mean, they're, yeah. they're not, they're not you're not so if you're gonna just do by you know power of deduction right and just kind of like whittling down where they where their needs are let's just build that receiving core up right let's 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 see if if we can either 
trade up or, or get one of those Clyde Edwards Hilaire type late round first round picks that can, that can really make an impact. Somebody that slips down. Um, I think, you know, I think they're going to have to focus on linebacker. I mean, I think they're probably, if I had to say those six picks, it's six picks in the first three rounds, right? Correct. I'd yeah. say they're, they're probably going to go half. I say they're going to go 50, 50. I think their, their needs are balanced enough right now. Um, and if anything, I think, I think Farzine, I think they might move a little bit more, even maybe using two for offense and even four for defense. I think there, there's a lot more, there's a lot more needs, I think, on defense, in my yeah. opinion, than, than on offense, especially with some of the pickups they've had um, on, on, you know, in the receiving core. And I, I'm excited about it. Look, is Tyreek Hill going to become a, a thing of the past? I mean, look, th- this, if there's anything that Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid have done, it's evolved that playbook around their players every year, right? That's the thing that I love about this offense. And, and, and Spags does it on defense too. They, they have bought into a philosophy where you are going to mold your playbook around the talent of your players and not vice versa, where you're going to have this big ego, big egoed offensive coordinator that says, nope, you're fitting into my scheme come hell or high water or you're, you know, you're going to be riding the pine, right? Like that, that's not the way this team rolls. It's all right. What do we got? How do they fit best into it? And how do we keep expanding that playbook, right? How do we keep getting that playbook bigger and bigger and bigger for more and more and more options? And that's, I think they've done that almost every year that, that I've, you know, kind of seen this whole Andy Reid era unfold, right? Is that they've expanded that playbook to, you don't know what this team's going to do. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it's just going to be a different kind of offense. It's not going to be, you know, Tyreek's, you know, spreading the field horizontally and, and, and stretching the field vertically, you know, maybe it's more of a back shoulder, you know, throwing it to, you know, guys that look like the old, Patriots offense, right? Where you got the Edelman type or the Wes Welker type, right? You know, Juju is, uh, you know, one of those, that's why I kind of put him in that bucket, right? He's like that Edelman, you know, scrappy, tough, bigger, except even bigger, which is great. Right. I I just think, I just think they're, I think they're evolving. I, I, so I, I think, I think we're probably going to probably see more on defense, to be honest. I think Patrick has enough weapons right now. And I don't think there's enough in this draft for them to go crazy thinking about how they're going to have to get more offensive weapons in the first round. So I think they're going to really spend it on defense where they can um, get some players at some impact positions, like a corner, maybe beef up the linebacking core. Um, get you know, that edge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, I think that's, that's sort of my analysis on it. Zach, I know you had a uh, specific. I have question. a very specific question for you, Joe. On principle, I have to ask: <laughs> Who we got in this draft that's going to be the next big man touchdown? God, that's a really good question. Uh, well, listen, I'm well, going to be the part- perfect question for you, my friend. I'm I mean, going to be you know. I'm going to be partial to building to building on another 73 who happens to also have a vowel at the end of his name, and I'm going to go with my man Nick. I think I think Nick Allegretti. They need to just keep building on what he did. You know, I I, like I think I think I I would not be sad if he broke my record and ended up with you know five touchdowns as as eligible. You know, it would it would help me out. I'd get a little more pub. 
and uh you know (laughs) somebody i feel like you know doesn't your twitter just on principle blow up every single time it would have to scores a touchdown yeah it just seems like a rule at this point it's 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 awesome i mean it's so much fun i love it i love following it and and i love uh i love watching the big guy score and get that you know get that like my dad said when are you going to get your name announced you know i just love thinking back to that moment when my dad said you know only when only when you get a holding call son well you know what dad maybe maybe not maybe not this time but i, I think um i think uh i i think they gotta i think they gotta go with nick i think they gotta just build on on what nick is doing so i'm gonna put all my my juju and all my karma right right into right into into eric the head right now and say get get nick another one i'm here for that i like that's it. awesome <laughs> um Joe, I, I did want to ask you, and you and I texted a couple of times during the season about this kind of thing. This season, and I know the season's over with, but I really want to get your take on this because the last time you were on the podcast, I think it was right before last season, and we had a really honest conversation about you know the Lynn Elliott game and, and what that was like in the locker room and the family members who you know have to hear all that criticism, and even still to this day. Um, you know, I, I think when you look at former players, I feel like D Ford and Lynn Elliott are the ones who get brought up the most still yeah. about all that. But um, last year was just such a weird year, man. It was, um, you know, when it comes to girlfriends, wives, children, and other personal, like people are so emotionally attached to this team. I remember when the Royals were in the World Series two years in a row, everybody knew about Eric Hosmer and his relationship with Casey McDonald before it was even published. Well, I think was, he just married, fun fact. Yeah, actually, there, and uh, Casey uh, just announced he's president. evidently, we still care about these things. Yeah, though, there you go. To, 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 to my point. Yeah, no, but, um, you know, even before they officially announced it on Instagram, like people knew about these things when uh, Mike Moustakas. Uh, was on bereavement to step away. There were rumblings online. They're like, "Oh yeah, his mother is not feeling well." I'm like, "How do people know?" Like, people are always just searching and digging online. Yeah. Um, and now with the Chiefs, they they got off to that really weird three and four start. And even during that eight game winning streak, Mahomes was not playing his best football. A lot of overthrown, underthrown, and even when he was accurate, there were a lot of drops last yeah. year. And it got to the point where people were just bringing up, like, what's going on? And people talked about Mahomes' family and because Brittany was in the news a lot with the champagne and her commentary on Twitter about the refs and opposing players. And I don't mind the commentary, but I guess at some point, if you start talking about other people, it becomes a thing. Uh, Jackson and the water bottle, dancing on Sean Taylor's number. I know Randy has posted some tweets insinuating family drama and she quickly was criticized about that and quickly deleted those and then it gets to the point to where like you know um tyron matthew and anthony hitchens they lash out on fans on instagram and that's of course when matthew made the toxic comment i know grunhard uh he was even asked about this he said look yeah sure maybe the andy reed situation with his son could be a distraction maybe mahomes becoming a new father that could be playing a role in these kinds of things. And by the way, Grunhard mentioned this too uh, in his uh, segment with Serena, and they do a great job together. I guess Tyreek Hill tweeted his goodbye tweet 11 days before he got traded, and that happened to be the same day as Mahomes' wedding, and people were connecting the dots on that. Like, does that have anything to do with it? Like, every because the Chiefs are a big deal, your superstar quarterback 
I mean, his family, they're no longer just his family. They're, they have their own brand now. I'm just kind of curious. I know this, this is a heavy loaded question, but with everything that gets brought up and people tying that into potential distractions, I'm just wondering, man, as a former player, as a husband and a father of three, what do you make when people bring up these kinds of things? Well, listen, Farzine, it's, it's a, that's a, that's a lot to unpack. And, and, you know, the, um, I mean, I'll just give you, I'll give you a personal, personal story first. I'll start with personal, right? So my wife and I, you know, we, we, and and I'm okay. I'm okay with sharing this and, 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 and being this personal about it. Um, you know, my wife and I, we, we struggled with, with getting pregnant. And, and so, you know, we, we had to seek out, you know, medical help. Right. So, so we, you know, we had been seeing some fertility specialists and things, you know, while I was in Kansas city and, and while I was playing and, and kind of like, while I was at the height of some of the, you know, whatever notoriety of the lineman can get. Right. Cause I was doing, you know, I was, I was, I was the spot anchor on, on KNBC at the time. Right. So I used to fill oh, in right. for, I used to fill in for, um, for Len Dawson on Tuesdays and Wednesdays um, when he would uh, go do HBOs inside the, inside the NFL. And um, so I'm doing that. Like there was people, like, first of all, there were people who didn't even know I played for the chiefs. They'd be like, Oh, you're the guy on channel nine. I'm like, yeah, I actually have this other day job. I actually do. But like, the um, and then and then one woman one time thought I sold Amway when I was at the uh, I was signing autographs at, at the uh, at the price chopper, um, and so like you know you get these things so there's this all this stuff in the community but like you know so so you know it, it was it was tough sometimes going into you know going into to the fertility clinic and and you go in there and, and you're seeing a reproductive specialist and you know here's comes Joe six, five, it's hard to hide six, five, three Oh five. Right. And yeah. especially yeah, sneaking is probably not a thing you get to do. Yeah, no, not at all. Zach. And a town like Kansas city, that's relatively small, you know, it's, it's hard to be like, hear the whispers, like what the heck's Joe mm-hmm. doing here? You know? So yeah, you know, but my God, thank God social media wasn't around. Right. Nobody's, yeah. nobody's tweeting out. Hey, saw Joe at, you know, the reproductive resource center of Kansas city. Right. Like, thank God. Yeah. Like my wife didn't have to deal with that that noise. And then, and then we went through, you know, my, um, my wife went through a, when, when we finally were pregnant with the triplets, um, you know, she went through horrible, horrible pregnancy. And, 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 and so, you know, we're, de- I was dealing with that in my last training camp with, in Kansas city. Right. So my wife was, uh, at one point, you know, we were in a movie theater and, and it was, it was, a, it was one of the theaters that was this old school. So it was, there was no aisles. And, and so I like to always sit in the middle. I don't know what that is. I like to see the screen head on. And so we're sitting in the middle and my wife went to the bathroom and, and she comes down and she's bawling her eyes out because she just had some issue in the bathroom, you know, we're going to make two TMI here, but yeah. she, she pregnancy wasn't going well. And, and so, you know, then I've got to like hand my popcorn and soda to people. And I'm, you know, my wife's crying, I'm running out of the theater you know, and it's just like, so those things, and I say this because those things, you know, players have lives. Like they, they're not like, they just don't show up and play football and they're just robots or automatrons. Right. Like I was dealing with a very critical thing in my life and the emotions and the ups and downs of, of all of it. And then, and then finally, you know, then I have to go away. So my wife is then, um, she's, she's like 11 weeks pregnant or 12, 10 weeks when I left for training camp and, you know, we're going away for a while. And, and, and it was funny because I, I left for training camp. We were having twins and two weeks into training camp, my wife calls me and tells me we're having 
three. And I said, what, three people over for dinner? And she's like, no, we're we're having three babies. I said, wait a minute, I've been gone for two weeks. You're that lonely? Jeez. Not that I was questioning her fidelity or anything, but I was like, how does that happen? And, um, you know, so we, um, you know, and, and, and her parents came out because she, she just had, she had a really troubled pregnancy and it was times when we didn't think it was going to last. And then, and then there was a time when it got really tenuous. Right. And so, and they announced, uh, my daughter's always, they, they crack up when they think of my daughter's, my wife's pregnancy was announced on, on Monday night football. Wow. And, and well, it was the, th- it was Thursday night edition of Monday night football. Did you, and did you record it? We do. We do have the recording. Molly. So it was Lynn, Lynn Swan and Lynn Swan and Al Michaels and Dan Deardorff announced that we were having triplets. We hadn't told anybody in my family that we were even pregnant except for her mom. So what happened was I, I was struggling. I, I was, I was, I was falling into a little bit of, of a depression and, and, and I was struggling with some, um, some, some, I, I got the yips, Basically, when it came to long snapping, uh, I struggled. I struggled with my long snapping in my last season in Kansas City. Um, I was alone at training camp. My wife is in and out of the hospital. Her parents had to come out and stay with her. And I'm trying to get through training camp. And one day, I just broke down. I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't take the pressure anymore. And Al Saunders, who was one of the greatest human beings I've I've ever met uh, was, was our, you know, our assistant head coach and, and receivers coach and literally one of the best people I've ever met in my life. He, he, he saw me and, and, and he said, Joe, are you okay? And I was like, Al, I said, you know, I, I don't know how to tell you this. I said, you know, my wife is struggling. She's back in the hospital. Don't know if the pregnancy is going to last. It's been a long road. I'm just tired. And, and he said to me, he said, uh, he said, Joe, it's going to be all right, man. Just hang in there. And, and then, and then of course I get hurt at training camp. I hurt, we were playing Dallas in Monterey, Mexico, and I hurt my back and I'm out now I'm out. So I've got, I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders. Yeah. I'm hurt. I, I, I feel it slipping away. Farzine. I felt it slipping away. You know, there's that old saying when the coach stops yelling at you, it's time to worry, you know, and I just wasn't getting yelled at anymore. Um, you know, uh, I was just, I was, I was, I went into that training camp, you know, to be the starting long snapper and the third tight end. I mean, I was going to be the third tight end. I, they were actually coach Schottenheimer actually took me aside and was going to, he was going to change my number. Um, and I was going to, I was in 1996, I was going to become, I was going to become the third tight end and um, I get hurt. And now, now the world's passing me by and I'm sensing it's going. And, you know, I just dealing with stuff like just dealing with my life, you know, and it's, it's so easy to just see those players as, 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 oh, well, they make great money and they got, they got the world at their fingertips and all this stuff. The money, the the money doesn't matter. They're, they're human beings. And, And here's the other part of it. Those people that are their support groups, they didn't, they weren't there the day they signed an NFL contract. You know, the Mahomes family, you know, Patrick's been dating Brittany since what high school, like high even school, like yeah. before high school, yeah. right? Like, you know, his mom, his mom's been through, you know, a divorce and, you know, and, and, and raising the kids and with the dad and, you know, trying to do doing the whole, 
you know, double parent thing and being, being, uh, you know, a, a divorced family. And like, you know, whatever, whatever the Mrs. Mahomes, uh, you know, whatever Randy wants to post or tweet, I post it, man, like stop the hate. Like, that's what I just mm-hmm. want to tell people. Just let them be them. Let them celebrate whatever they want to celebrate. Let them, let them be pissed off about referees. Like right. they've mm-hmm. earned that. Stop, mm-hmm. stop hating on people. Can I, can I just say one thing? Like, yeah. I don't mind like, Hey, have whatever opinions you want. I agree with that. Yeah. I, the, the only criticism I have personally of Randy is like, so she deleted this, but she was talking about heartbreak and she, how people won't understand the pain. And she's tagging Patrick and Jackson, like family drama stuff, especially yeah. when you already have a massive following like that should be kept behind. Yeah. Closed, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's well. that's right. I was going to, I was going to, I was going to say, I, I'm like, I'm, you know, here I am telling you some things are very private to me and yeah. it's not, it's, it's so it's such in the history books now. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't really think twice about it, but like back then nobody would have been, nobody in my family would have been tweeting about that. Like yeah. <laughs> nobody needs to know, you know, my dad, I grew up, in, you know, tight, we call it the row house whisper. You had to whisper in my house if you were talking about family business, because my dad didn't want our neighbors knowing any of our family business, whatever was going on. Like he keep it down. If you had a falling out with your brother, you keep it down. Like you, you know, you don't let anybody know your business. And, and so like, I, I, I do agree with you there, Farzine. I think, I think if you don't want to get it back, don't give it out. Like just, just be yourself, enjoy, celebrate Patrick's success, be excited. Yeah. Tweet out how proud you are of how hard he's working, what a great job he does in the community. You know, um, you know, don't try to make a name for yourself based on, you know, kind of what he's doing. You know, be your own person. Of course, you should be a proud mama. Like she should absolutely be proud. And um, but I think I think sometimes you can, you know, families can take it over the line when it comes to you know, sharing and, and, and wondering how many likes they're going to get and all this stuff about, you know, what they say and what kind of eyebrows it's going to raise to air that stuff. It's, that's not the, to me, that's not the place for it. I, I, I just, you know, I'm Listen, just, but that's just me. I'm a private person. I, and by the way, I really do appreciate you sharing that. Cause I think so many people forget like, okay, you guys are athletes. So therefore you probably have zero issues, you know, in your lives, but I really do appreciate you sharing that story. Um, by the way, Patrick's dogs, they share an Instagram account. Does anyone want to guess how many followers the dogs have on Instagram? Oh, I'm going to, I, a million or so 1.6 million. It, it's, it's not a million. I thought it was, uh, but it's 200,000. Oh my um, God. That's yeah. And you know, like I said, you know, the family, Instagram, man, it's the, a thing. And look, Brittany, she's got a million. I mean, she's obviously the co-owner of a team. She's selling so many gym products online. She does all these gym exercises. And obviously she shares a lot of, you know, daughter mom moments too, which a lot of people love that stuff on Instagram. So, and you know, I listen, she gets a lot of shitty comments, like the people who try to physically shame her and people making homophobic comments about Jack. Like there's no room for that. I mean, come on. Like that's not cool. And you know, she's a cute girl. Like, we can say that, right? Like all these people who yeah. try to shame her. You can see that, Farzine. Like any guy that is trying to like physically shame her, if Brittany was single and DM'd her, they would answer that real fast. They would. I mean, come <laughs> on. Um, 
I know we're running uh, long on time here. Uh, I did want to ask you one last question and I'd ask you a couple of uh, listener questions we got from Facebook. I'm just curious because Mahomes, even though they were still a top five offensive team and they reached the AFC championship again, which they have every time Mahomes has started, uh, there were still a lot of issues on the field last year. We kind of alluded to some of that. I'm just curious. What do you think Mahomes needs to do to try to erase some of that? Because my biggest criticism of him on the field, I just feel like he tries the hero play too much, like running around in the pocket. It just feels like every play for him has to be like an A-plus play. Um, if, if, if you could give like some advice for Mahomes going into 2022, what would you say? What, what would you like to see from him? I, I mean, this is going to sound crazy, and, and, and Chiefs fans could, could hate me for saying this. Uh, I know my wife will hate me because she's, she does not like Tom Brady, um, and she'll be the first to tell you that. He's got he's to like, play more like Tom Brady. He's got he's to use his skills and, and all of his strengths to maximize all the players around him. I mean, if I had to, you know, look, I'm, I'm no quarterback, um, you know, and, and I haven't, I haven't played quarterback since I was, uh, I think I, last time I played quarterback, I was in seventh grade. Um, but like, I, I just think he needs to not try to take the, the, the weight of the, of the entire Midwest on his shoulders. And he's got to, he's got to use his skills to use um, the strengths and, and capitalize on the strengths of every player around him consistently. Now, what that will allow him to do, I think, is when he does need to make that amazing play, he's going to make it. It's not like that's ever going to go away. Yeah. But I think that was the biggest struggle for him early on, Farzine. I think it was he was carrying the whole weight of the team, the whole weight of the city on his shoulders. The defense was struggling. He's trying to pick it up for them. He's trying to stay on the field. And like you said, it was kind of like that sort of hero complex, right, that he's trying to do too much. And that is – something like a quarterback like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning um, to name two players that never did that. Right. They, 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 they never, they never tried to do too much. They, they did just what was needed at just the right time. And I think that maybe that will come with maturity. Excuse me. He's only 26 years old, right? Has he turned 26 yet? Uh, he'll be 27 no. in September, I think. 27, right? So he's 27. That's right. He's, he's going to be 27. He's, I mean, he's young. He's got so much ahead of him. So he just needs to mature into that. He needs to mature into that sort of, you know, leader that does what is given, what, what's given to him in the moment, right? Take it and then go with it and, and use the strengths of everybody around him and don't try to win it all by himself. Um you know, I, I, I just think that would be the one thing I would, would say is relax and just let it happen. Because I think if you, when you try too hard and you put too much pressure on yourself, it's a lot. And I, I listen, I'm not faulting him for it. Guy makes a boatload of money. He knows he is the franchise. Um, he's dealing with all the outside pressures, right? He's trying to, trying to secure, you know, that future, whatever that, that he wants to secure. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a lot to, it's a lot to take on. And, and I hope, I hope he gives himself a little bit of credit and takes a little of that pressure off of himself and doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be the $500 million man every play. Yeah. No, I, I would agree with that. Um, I don't have anything else to ask. I was just going to ask a couple of fan questions from Facebook, sure. but before I do Melody, Zach, did you guys have anything else you wanted to ask Joe? I mean, I, I like what you were talking about being a whole person. And I think that that applies to everything. I, I'm just 
listening. I don't have a lot of like, intelligence. Uh, yeah. I just love football. You know, I, I get my news from Farzine. Like he keeps me posted when I have questions, I text Farzine, but I, I do love what you said about being a whole person. That's actually what I talked about in my session today with jurors. Like we're whole people, our students are whole people. So yeah, that's what I appreciate you, Melody. I really do. And you know, keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to keep, keep telling you that you, you're rocking it and keep making a difference and use that platform. So you're, you're amazing. Um, and I'm you. so, I'm so sorry that I've talked so much. I apologize. Oh, no, Hey, this is I great. Did. I love it. Hey, this is very verbose. We, and we're, you know, we're here I to just listen to you, Joe. It's all good. Start rambling and all that stuff just comes out, out of my head. Oh, no, Again, please. I don't talk about it a lot at work. So this is my, this is my channel <laughs> for getting all this good information uh, out. Zach, did you have one last thing you wanted to ask Joe? No, I think, I think we've covered it. Okay, cool. Well, I'll let in on this. I'll ask them together because they do kind of relate a little bit. Um, sure. Jason wants to know, we, we've gone over this before, but I think people still want to hear it if they haven't heard before. Uh, how did it feel as an offensive lineman to score a touchdown? And Patrick wanted to know if you had Joe Montana sign any of those touchdowns you caught from him. Oh, my, well, I'll start wow. with the easy. I'll start with the easy question first. I have all three of the balls that Joe threw. Uh, signed, and I have the ball that Steve Bono threw signed, and I have him signed. Nice. Alan, Alan Wright, awesome. current head, you know, trainer, equipment manager, was was assistant to Mike Davidson back then. I made sure I found him the moment those balls hit my hand, and I had to get back out for the field goal unit, uh, the extra point. I made sure I found Alan, and and he saved those balls for me. And and Joe loved signing them. Um, and 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 it was that was like. Come on, it's Joe. It's Joe Montana. You know, like how do how do I how do we even describe what it was like to be on the receiving end of you know? To me, still, much as I was kind of like touting what you know Tom Brady does and and how quarterbacks should should emulate that building of of the team around you, Joe's always going to be the goat for me for for a lot of reasons. I, I think the era he played in, you know, what he was able to do. I know Tom's got more accolades, played a lot longer, but you know, I just watched that that Joe Montana uh, series that they did the six part uh, series. Um, I think it was on. Um, um, oh God, I forget which streaming service it was on Peacock. Um, oh. But there's a, there's a six part series on Joe and, you know, a lot of it's Notre Dame and 49ers, of course, that's where he spent the bulk of his career, but the whole last episode and a half is, is really about his time in Kansas city. And um you know, he, he said there were there were times when you would see him get scraped off the field, like you know. So I just have a lot of time for Joe. I, I just I think the eerie played, and he's always going to be the goat. So to be on the other end of that, and as an offensive lineman, um, you know, that was like I was I lived every lineman's dream. You know, I mean, to hear your yeah. name get called again, going to go back to that story. You know, hear your name called for something good. Um, which happens very rarely, right? Except, except it was if it was a John Madden game. John Madden loved his linemen. He always talked about linemen. Um, but like, there were so few and far between, you know, getting those accolades. So it was it was really really cool, um, you know, for especially for the coaches that have the confidence in me to be able to do that, right? Um, and to and to and Joe Montana to act like I was Jerry Rice. You know, even though I had 193 touchdowns left to go to catch him, he still treated me like Jerry Rice. He never, Joe never, he called that play in the huddle those three times. And Steve Bono did the same thing. Like nobody looked at me and said, you know, are you okay? Like, you're going to catch this, right? Like he just he called the play and 
he threw the ball. Like he, he didn't, there was no fanfare. There was no, you know, it was like an act like you've been there before kind of a moment. And that's what I really made me feel great about it. Like I actually felt part of the receiving crew, even though I was the wide receiver, but you know, <laughs> really wide, but you know, it was, it was amazing. It was, I hope that answers hence answers the question, but it was, it was, it was every lineman's dream. That's awesome. Well, hey, uh, Joe, I know you've got the uh, Believe uh, Chiefs, uh, Believe in Chiefs on the uh, Believe Podcast Network. You guys can listen to that with Jeff Adoton. You guys really do a great job. And I know some of these stories, um, some of these personal behind the law. I remember when Marty passed, uh, you shared a really great story on there about, you know, they informed you you got released and you guys both cried, shared a hug. I I loved hearing that story. And I know you shared a similar story with Al Saunders just now. So I appreciate you uh, sharing stories like that. You and Jeff do a great job. So I hope people subscribe to that. Uh, I know you do uh, a lot of these uh, podcast requests. At least I see you get uh, requested often for these kinds of things. And with everything you've got, I know you got a busy schedule. So I really do appreciate you making time and coming back for this. Uh, I know we'll keep in touch, obviously, during the season. We'll be texting back and forth. Um, (laughs) But other than that, man, hey, thank you so much. I really do appreciate uh, all your time and everything you've done uh, for me in this podcast. Oh, my God, Farzee, my pleasure, Zach. Great to see you, Melody. Always. So great to connect. And, and you know, if you ever need anything, you all know how to get a hold of me. You know, I'm, I'm out there on Twitter. I, I, I do my darndest to respond to any fan or person that, that reaches out. Um, you know, I love doing your podcast, Farzine, and joining you um, and talking. You, you ask great questions. You have such a great connection with the fans. You're, you have a great social media presence, positive and you know, I love watching your travel and I love seeing, uh, you know, I love seeing your man cave and the 19 or 20 televisions you have down that place. I'm like, I'm moving. So like with- Actually, I, I just with- remembered. Dude. Telling you, Joe, you got to see it in person. It's legit. I, yeah, I can't Zach's imagine. Been here before. Zach's been, it's um, it's fantastic. Actually, I will say Zach, since you've last been here, it's been, uh, it's been a little different. I will say that I was going to ask Joe, uh, do you have like an eight by 10 on professional photo paper of yourself that you can sign and send me? I've been meaning to ask you, but I keep forgetting. Um, I, I can look You're going through. on the wall, Joe, You're going in the cave. I, I, I might yeah. be able to dig up. If you, if anybody even remembers the store called venture, uh, I, I do. Might, yes. Oh I gosh. might have, I might have a venture headshot. I might have a price chopper headshot um but i will look through and see if i can find something that's a little bit more uh, more exciting than my uh, my glamour shot uh, ugly mug there is a super bowl poster and uh an empty space right beside post malone that's where you will go oh my god circles here we go i uh i've got i've got i've got a a one where i'm doing like the number one um I'll see if I can dig, dig something up. Um, I was actually reporting eligible is what I was doing. I was holding, everybody thinks I'm like, so sometimes when I would sign that one, I would say, you know, you're number one or something, but it's, uh, oh, and then I, got, I got one of me pancaking a guy from the bills, but I don't know if I have a, a, a glossy of that one. Um, I'll see, I'll see what I can dig up for you, buddy, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sign that and send that over. Uh, well, we'll I, I, I've been wanting to ask you for some time. I don't know why I keep forgetting, but I just remembered now. So I'm uh, glad you, you got brought it, that up. All right. You got hey, it. We'll, guys. We'll, Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say DM me address. We'll get it over to you. Yeah, sure. Okay, we'll, awesome. We'll, we'll get, and then you're going to give me the address. Next thing, when the Masters is on, I'm going to show up so we can watch all the broadcasts <laughs> of the Masters on all the televisions that you have in your basement. Oh, man. Melody's been wanting to come over, so we'll have so to you just make that happen at some point. 
Yes. Uh, but hey, Melody, Zach, Joe, thank you guys so much. Appreciate all of you guys who downloaded and listened to this episode of Farscast. Um, I will put Melody, Zach, and Joe's Twitter handles in the description for uh, this episode. So please follow them on Twitter if you're not. Other than that, I will talk to you guys Thursday live on Facebook during the draft. That'll be a lot of fun. We'll do that. And we'll also have another podcast this weekend recapping the draft. Other than that, big thanks to Melody, Zach, and Joe Valerio. I will talk to you guys later. Take care. Take care.